today as we uh, continue to meditate on the text, scripture text on hopeful anticipation. It is our Advent series. Today's uh, focus will be on Mary's song. I don't know what your favorite Christmas song would be. Uh, maybe I, I still remember the young, young, my younger days and singing and the, uh, like first Noel away in a manger, silent night, uh, and even today's uh, hymns that we sang. Uh, so brings so brings so much of fond memories. And not only culturally, but really God's tugging of our heart. But I wonder this morning whether you thought about this particular song. This is actually the very first song in Advent. The first Christmas and the first song we would call it, in general term, Christmas Carol. Mary sang it. I typically call the Mary song, or very well known as the Magnificat. So before we get into the text, I think we need to do two things. Uh, make some observation about, there are four, at least four unique things about Mary's song. And then we need to take a look at the context in which Mary sang this song. And then we'll get into the lessons of it. So here are four unique things about Mary's song. As I mentioned, it is well known, maybe other than the Lord's Prayer, in, among the churches, especially in Catholic churches and very liturgical churches, Mary's song is known for, known as the Magnificat. Magnificat is a Latin word. and You could imagine in old days, the, the churches will, uh, the, especially Catholic churches will uh, have a liturgical service in all Latin. And the first phrase of Mary's song, my soul magnifies, that phrase in Latin is magnificat. So magnificat is um, Mary's spirit-filled psalm of praise or hymn of praise regarding Jesus' birth. And yes, in a sense, this is the very first song of Advent. It is one of the three songs in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1 and chapter 2, um, Mary's song, Zechariah's song, Benedictus, they, they use, usually call it, and same thing is in Latin. And chapter 2, Simeon's response and his song. And the Mary's song is, happens to be the very first song. Number 2, it is interwoven with at least 15 quotations and allusions of the Old Testament scripture passages. It is incredible 
to look at this poem that has the weight of the entire scripture and the perspective and illusions and expressions. It is a godly, heart-moving song. And thirdly, it is filled with the outbursts of heartfelt expressions of Mary as she praises her God. I actually I wanted to say outbursts of emotional exper- expressions. It is. It's filled with feelings. Do you know that uh, sometimes the common logical responses people in today's world is that you, know, you cannot command people to feel. And in you know, sense, it is right. But do you know that Bible is filled with commands for us to have certain emotions? So act into the feeling kind of thing. And then you could feel Mary's outburst of joy, outburst of thankfulness. She feels humbled. Not necessarily she feels, I mean, she's trying to humble herself and kind of poise poise herself in a certain way. So I think this is really great stuff for us, for our generation. Because it sounds so real. She's not just faking it or just saying it for the sake of saying it. In a sense, this is the Christmas spirit that we need to embrace. This coming week, we should remember Mary's feelings and emotions. Live them out as a Christ follower. And that will be contagious among our kids. As I mentioned last week, not necessarily our anticipation, excitement is about materialistic things or cultural things or sentimental things, but about the coming of the Lord. God-centered excitement and anticipation will be there. Number four, it was sung by Mary, not when she was an old sage, but when she was a mere young teenager. Scholars say that he, she could not be more than high school age. Probably she's about junior high age, 13, 14 years old. And one would think that it is incredible how, how could a teenager could come up with this kind of response, heartful response. The two things that we need to stay away from. One is a Mariology. Obviously, Catholics worship Mary in, in that sense, like deify a lot of the good things about Mary. We need to stay away from that. The other thing is just disregard as it's a special kind of people. Well, if Mary could do it as a teenager, we could do it. We need to learn quite a lot of things. So before we get into the lesson, let's go to the context. Bear with me one more time. And 
verse 46 is the beginning of song, but we need to read and understand in which the context in which Mary sang this song. Verse 39 of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, about 60 to 70 miles distance. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. Uh, Parenthetical remark, John the Baptist in the womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb lived for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. What was spoken to her? Angel Gabriel showed up and said, You shall... Fear not, you shall bear a son. And you, you are favored one. And I think, I think we could really, really think about, think about the, the Mary's response in the, why she was able to not get freaked out. First of all, the angelic being showing, showing up. The most of times in, in biblical account, an angel shows up because of the glory and this magnitude of their presence. Usually, they're terrified. They're underground. Their face is down, almost a worshiping posturing that way. But in Mary's response, was to, she was just perplexed. The greeting, you favored one. The greeting was, why is angel and greet me <laughs> this way? And that we will find out more how she was able to respond that calmly. And not only the fact that in those cultures, even nowadays, the, um, any single teenager, I mean, young teenager getting pregnant is, you know, this bad news enough and all the misunderstanding, all the things, even if she would say, angel visited me and I was pregnant, I'm virgin, no one would believe that. And it is a kind of sin that deserves a stone to death, according to the Mosaic law. And that she will be cast out from her family because of the shame and guilt. But Mary's response was, let it be done to me, as you have said. And then we'll find out more, the little, little bit of a kind of, I want to give you a hint. Most likely, 
if we meditate on this, Mary, Mary was full of anticipation of Lord's work. I, I'm not saying Mary knew exactly God's plan and Jesus will be the Messiah, coming Messiah or not, but Mary generally in, anticipated the, God's work for the Israel because of her uh, understanding and meditation of the scriptures at that young age. So <clears throat> there are a few different ways to, uh, to study this song. Um, but the more I meditated on it, the more I kind of focused on Mary's emotions, a feeling, response, and reaction, this kind of strange thing happened. Uh, and I'm really excited about that. There are couplets of themes in this song. So there's something happens and Mary responds. And this seemingly sometimes doesn't really go together, but that insight is great when we see Mary responding with that. And there's another Mary's realization, awareness, and there's another response. There are four couplets at least of themes in this song. So the, the question that we're asking is what do the couplets of themes in Mary's song teach us about Advent? Number one, the first couplet in Mary's song points us to Mary's heart magnifying God, one, and rejoicing in Him, two. Verse 46, and Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my favor, my Savior. There is a poetic response in that also. My soul uh, parallels with my spirit, magnifies versus rejoices. This is one, one of the first couplet. Do you sense something from our Exceeding Joy in God series? This is from Westminster's Shorter Catechism question number one, the most basic, fundamental question. Typically, it's uh, written this way. What is the chief end of men? What is the chief purpose of men and women? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. If you're not careful, some people mistakenly stop in the middle of the sentence and say, man's purpose of living, the reason why God created us is to glorify God. That's not the end of it. That's actually the half of it. And to enjoy Him forever. Do those go things together? And Mary says, and magnifies the Lord, 
glorifying the Lord, glorifying God. Rejoice in Him means enjoying Him today and forever. Do you remember John John Piper actually put it in a very succinct manner that was really helpful during our Exceeding Joy in God series. He said, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. You see, this is the truth. An emergence of one big truth Inseparable separable truth, Mary understood. Reformed theologian uh, Sinclair Ferguson actually have said, this happens to be the source of catechism number one came out of. From a young teenager's confession. Why is this? Even for our context. There's a two kinds of two kinds of misunderstanding. One is <clears throat> to maximize God's glory during Christmas, during Advent, means minimizing my joy and pleasure. Don't go out drinking, don't go out do this, don't do that, don't do that. Don't buy the materialistic things. Another misconception is maximizing my joy is minimizing God's glory. And Mary's praise is maximizing glory, is maximizing my, my joy. Can we really see that in this Advent? To be mindful that God has the best things and the lasting joy, even honestly comparing with any of our joys in our lives. Not just saying it conceptually. Let's put our 100% weight in it and rejoice in God. Get excited about God who is coming. He is our Savior. Do you, do you notice that she's not singing a religious song detached from her own life? And This is a very intimate, heartful thing. Rejoices in God. My Savior. If it's a love song, it is like uh, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in love with some man. That's that that doesn't sound right. I'm in love with my joy, my everything. People will ex- or my babe or whatever you. The first couplet had so much impact on me. I begin to see the natural progression that she's into. So let's do both this Advent. Not only magnify the Lord and worship Him, but rejoice in Him. The second couplet in Mary's song points us to God's great mercy and Mary's utter humility. Verse 48. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary realized whatever happened to her was just incredible, great mercy of God. Did she thought, yeah, I kind of deserve it because I've been waiting and praying that God will have a favor for me. You know, I, I've done 100 days prayer nonstop for this. No. Let me break this simple truth. Mary deserve nothing. Mary didn't deserve salvation. Mary didn't deserve mercy. Mary didn't deserve God's special favor and her being chosen by God. Neither are you. Neither am I. We do not deserve God's mercy. God's justice is applied to us. We deserve damnation and God's wrath. This is God's non-justice. Non-justice. What do I mean by that? Merciful thing is not actually just thing, but actually outside of that just of God, justice of God, God has chosen chosen non-just things, which is mercy that we do not deserve. Lest we become kind of religiously savvy that we do right things or right worship, right decoration, Let's be mindful of our depravity and what we really deserve. And the, the more we de- deserve, I mean, the more we realize our humble estate. You have a terminal disease. Unless someone saves you from this terminal disease, the natural thing is you die. But someone has offered this great salvation. That impact will be moving our hearts even deeper in our true humility before God. That we will not have a holier-than-thou attitude, any kind of entitlement or demandingness from God. So in this Advent, let's humble ourselves before God who gave us this amazing grace and gift to us, His own Son. The third couplet in Mary's song points us to God's mighty works 
and Mary's zestful thankfulness. Those are intentional words from, from me because when Mary surveys the scriptures in her heart and then to think about those it sounds like a first Samuel Hannah's prayer a lot of psalms interwoven into that and the Mary surveys God's might, mighty works that God in one word for her was a mighty God verse 51 he has shown strength with his arm he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those who those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. Obviously, she's one of them. She's included in that, the benefits, beneficiary of God's, God's great works and mercy. What, what is her response? You could feel her, her heart turned with thankfulness. They're talking about full of lively, emotional thankfulness. When our, our heart gets proud and complacent, the first thing that goes out is thankfulness. I, I, I was um, I was having a good week, and I got a call from my sister-in-law this week, and she wasn't feeling well, so she couldn't drive my brother to cataract surgery. His eye, one life, right eye was you know, affecting him, his view a lot, and everything gets murky. And he's only two years older than me, as you, as you know. So what in the world is going on? I, I thought it was happening to only really, really old people, the grandpas. And they basically said... Uh, it's because of all those steroids he takes, he has taken in the past, because of kidney-related issues and all different kinds of things. And then one of the side effects is affecting the cataract side of the, the eye. So I took him, and one of the good things about doing that surgery went well, and and he had some the uh, potassium level is issue, so he was he was being held at the hospital a little longer, maybe about an hour longer. And then here's a young doctor, good good doctor who's trying to be courteous to us. And then he looked at me, and I was uh, working on my laptop, my iPhone, and then I was wearing my back. Around my shoulder, maybe the, my appearance was young to him, but it was heart, heartbroken for me 
when he said, oh, are you his son? He's only two years old then. And I quickly said, oh, he's my brother. But that kept on lingering in my heart. And I felt sad for my brother. The way he walks is so slow. We're just taking him to this place. And then he takes forever. I'm finding, I'm found, I was finding myself pulling him a little bit. And he said, oh, don't pull. Just let, let me walk. Mighty works of God. Focusing on that looks like this. It's been, it's been more than six months when doctor said he will have a one year. He outlived his incurable disease. The incurable disease stopped. I mean, the progression stopped in his brain. So he's not getting better, but he's not getting worse. It's been one, exactly one year he resigned from his work. His pastor, it's the lead pastor work. Without no source of income, consistent income. God has supplied more abundantly than ever. And I, I, and I share this, and you, many of you read in, uh, Kate's blog and during our Thanksgiving sharing time it was so moved so whenever I think about mighty works of God and focuses and then surveys on it my thankfulness arises that's what we are to do in this Advent following footsteps of this young, mere teenager, Mary. Let's, let's be zestful in our thankfulness, not half-hearted. Number fourth couplet in Mary's song points us to magnify God. I'm sorry. To remember his faithfulness and have a deep trust in him. Sorry for that mistake. In verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. And notice what Mary does is Mary's focus is not just on her own little life, but God's faithfulness for entire nation of Israel, the people of God, the chosen race. And we could apply to our, our, our own lives in this way, that God has called each one of us in Christ Jesus, those who, whom he called his own, the people of God, God's elect. He, has a, he made a covenant to the Israel, and he made a covenant, continuous covenant, the new covenant to his people. And he will not let go of his own promises, even if we fail. Mary saw that. Whatever happening, what was happening to her was a little glimpse of God's favor, covenant of favor, faithful favor upon his people, Israel. Is God faithful? Can you trust 
his promises? Yes, you can. If you survey the scripture, the lives of the people whom, who pr- put their trust, entire trust in him. So Mary grows in deep trust. That's what we're all to do in this Advent. We are to this very thing as we meditate on God's faithfulness, not only on toward, toward us, but all toward his people, the people of God, that his covenantal love, steadfast love, loving kindness toward his people. His hesed, in Hebrew word, he will never let go. In Hebrews, in Jesus' words, I will never forsake you. Going back to the, the readiness of Mary's heart, how is this mere teenager? I mean, some, some scholars might kind of predict that she might be, she might not be able to read. When most young girls at that age are not educated, unlike boys, very male chauvinistic society, unless you are in a special case. But she's a poor, ordinary girl. I, you know, it, it's a uh, speculation, mere speculation. Whether she read or not, one thing was clear. The scripture was living in her and the treasuring in her heart, being treasured in her heart. And as we remember these four couplets, what is stirring in our hearts is the very fact that Mary's heart was the heart that treasures God's word. And this is J.C. Ryle, uh, a 19th century Anglican pastor who wrote just tremendously uh, powerful works, which really still very effective. And the, the many, many of his works uh, are you know, outdated. So It's so old enough. The good thing about this, obviously it would be nice to have for example, his holiness, the holiness, though his book on holiness is awesome book. But a lot of it is, most of all of his work is available online. We could read it. And this is how I found it. He has an expository thoughts on Gospel of Luke. And I found <laughs> treasure here. He writes... It is evident that the memory of the blessed virgin was stored with scripture. She was familiar, whether by hearing or by reading, with the Old Testament. And so, when out of the abundance of her heart, her mouth spoke, she gave vent to her feelings in scriptural language. Moved by the Holy Spirit to break forth into praise, she chooses language which the Holy Spirit had already consecrated and used. 
let us strive every year we live to become more deeply acquainted with Scripture. Let us study it, study it, search into it, dig into it, meditate on it until it dwells in us richly. So as I close this morning sermon on Mary's song, let's remember those the themes that seemingly don't go together, but Mary's song brings us, especially on the large overall overarching theme of magnifying the Lord, praising the Lord, and finding our joy in Him. That is the message of hopeful anticipation. My brother might not be healed and start running. But the hopeful anticipation is the great Lord, the, the great mercy and the mighty works of God gives me without other prerequisites. Just by faith in Christ, in Christ alone, I could have zestful thankfulness. Exceeding joy and humble heart. And deep trust. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your wisdom in using this mere young teenager whose heart was planted with many wisdoms from the God's Word. And we look forward to our days and teach us as we anticipate Christmas and your coming, teach us to turn our eyes upon you, turning away from vainful things, the things that charm our hearts and it lures our hearts. Not necessarily bad, but all the things that takes the deep joy in you out of us. And I pray, Lord, the very truth of these four couplets would be a reality. It's just a simple, hopeful anticipation in reality. And may we be contagious among our kids, among our home, and among our friends and relatives, that our joy will be genuine, that our thankfulness will be zestful, that our trust will be deep, unshaken. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.